Welcome to a special broadcast of New Realities. I am here today with uh, one of the scholars, I think, of the field, somebody who's put a tremendous amount of time in, in, in trying to understand the UFO phenomena. This is a special broadcast for Rama Institute and their festival because they are an organization that looking into the expansion of consciousness. So Grant, thanks for being here. Um, you have a bunch of books coming out as well. Do you want to just name some of the books that you have coming up? Um, I have a book on um, uh, research on psilocybin called Breakthrough the Psilocybin School. I have a book coming out and I have a book on alien documents coming out. And the books that were just released were the books on portals, uh, Mount Shasta, and the whole thing on contact modalities, which is the whole consciousness idea that uh, there are all sorts of modalities to get in the field. All the answers are in the field, this kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's something of what I would like to talk about today. Uh, there's a couple of points I'd like to cover, and then we can have a kind of general um, um, sort of conversation here. Um, uh, wait, I just want to tell people, I'm going to share my screen as well and say that, um, uh, and let me see, share screen, got you. And Grant, I also want to say you, you do incredible work. Uh, every week you're putting out another video and uh, I appreciate you're covering the topics of art and UFOs and consciousness. So uh, I think yeah. that's quite a valuable um, piece. Anything you want to just say now about the convergence of art and consciousness and you? Well, it's sort of a takeoff um, from the idea that I originally got. I had gotten a message many years ago the, the, from Chris Bledsoe, the famous experiencer, where he said, I've got a message from you from the guardians, where the beings that he was dealing with, mm -hmm. and they want you to know the message is in the music. And that's when I said, well, I don't really listen to music. I'm not interested in music. You're probably talking to the wrong guy. And then he linked up the synchronicity where he said, you should listen to this song called After the Gold Rush by Neil Young. Right. And Neil Young grew up in the city where I, I'm in. And that's what led me down this road. <laughs> and that's when I realized that it was true. There was this message. It was a bunch of experiencer uh, musicians who were uh, putting up messages inside the music. And I did a book called Inspired, The Paranormal World of Creativity where I look at, because uh, I had a download experience, I found out that musicians have download experiences. Then I realized that artists have download experiences, that inventors, Nobel Prize winners. Mm. And that's when I realized there was this connection that in the art world is almost the same as the the world of the music that you have uh, as Roger Lear. You remember Roger Lear who did yeah. the alien implants? Yeah. Roger Lear was asked, what's common between all experiencers? He said, the only scientific thing that I can really validate about all experiencers is they're all right brain creative people and Hollywood is full of them. And mm -hmm. that's so that's the commonality between art and music is that it's these right brain people who are able to tap into the field. They're they're receptive and they can pick up the signal, whereas the signal is there for everybody. But if you're in the 3D world and you're busy making money and try trading stocks and whatever, your, your left brain has got you completely shut down. All the noise is there, whereas artists are sort of in a different world. Musicians are in this other world where they can actually pick up the signal. And that is why I believe they're being used to get across the, the message. You know, that's a point I, I think I also think we should focus on, that the signal somehow is getting stronger. We are moving into a time of higher vibration. And if we 
just open our minds to what this cosmic signal, whatever you want to talk to, it, it seems like it's coming online for a lot more people. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, my theory of that is that what I, I have this theory that we I gave you an article called the theory of wow, where I yeah. believe that it's we're no different than any other social or political movement, whether it's uh, African-American rights, gay rights, uh, gay marriage, whatever it is, is that the more you talk about the subject, the more the consciousness rises. And that's what it is. So it doesn't matter whether you're doing, you know, bad jokes about African-Americans or bad movies or whatever. As long as you're talking, it's the idea, of, as long as you spell the name right eventually the consciousness gets where everybody's talking about it and then people will make the right decision. So that's where I think the veil cut starts to thin is when people start talking about it. So, but it's no different than any other social. Well, political I, have movement. To do, I have to say though, and something Whitley Strieber pointed out, we are the most oppressed people, silenced people more than any other minority speaking out about this uh, engenders ridicule or it used to up until the New York times. And um, yeah. There's a big shift. That's that's what I always point out is that people don't realize that this uh, that this veil is thinning or the, what I call the acclimatization. Because I wrote an article many years ago called "The 64 Reasons They've Decided Not to Tell You the Truth," and you remember the reasons. Stephen Greer used to say, "When this thing gets disclosed, the stock market is going to melt down. Mm -hmm. uh, people are going to jump off bridges, commit suicide, religion's going to collapse." And then what happened when the New York Times article came out? Everybody went, "Yeah, I knew that already. Ah, come on, tell me something else. I knew that already." Exactly. And we, yeah, <laughs> and that's where you get this acclimatization. That the more they they see they you people view it, the more people talk about it, the less threatening it becomes. Until the point where even if it comes down to uh, you know there's actually ETs and they confirm all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's really going to shake people. It, it's going to shake the old timers, and mm -hmm. that was what Max Planck said that an idea does not uh, does not develop by you convincing your skeptics or your opponents. It comes from people dying. And the new people, the new kids are uh, able to accept it, and it just comes in. And every, uh, even Max Planck talked about the fact that in 1874, and he's the guy that was the, developed quantum physics, yeah. in 1874, his professor told him, don't get into physics. It's a total waste of time. We've discovered everything. And yeah. that was the whole idea, is that we always have this idea that we've got all this stuff. But I had a couple of noetic experiences, which I talked to you about. And in my second one, which is a very long one in 2017, what I was given was the information is not only have you got it wrong in terms of what you're doing, it's exactly the opposite of what people think it is. And it was the idea that we have we have a bunch of stuff and we always assume that we've got everything figured out. And the noetic experience I got was said they called it wrong blocks. There's right blocks and wrong blocks. And you've got a bunch of wrong blocks. And as Einstein said, you cannot solve a problem using the same information that you use to create the problem. And what we've done is we've cycled a bunch of stuff that's wrong. So we, and we've changed some blocks. Like we used to think the world is flat. No, it's not. We used to think the sun went around the earth. No, it doesn't. We used to think that things are solid. No, they're not. We, now we starting to understand there is no time. There is no space. Uh, the idea that not only is everything all space, but the, the matter is actually energy fields. And we're starting to realize that we're getting this wrong, this wrong. And it's when you bring in information from the outside into the, to, to the thing. As long as you are cycling these things, it's almost like um, um, G William James said. William James said, you think that you're actually thinking and actually all you're doing is rearranging your prejudices. 
And that's where the noetic material comes in. That's where artists come in. That's where uh, UFO experiencers come in, is that they're able to bring material from the field that is new material that will help us answer the questions. As long as we have the same old ideas and we cycle them and cycle them, we're never going to figure it out. And we're going to make assumptions that we're standing uh, completely still when the Earth is moving at 1,000 miles an hour. It's rotating, moving 67,000 miles an hour through space. And we sort of have this seeing is believing thing. And we're starting to realize that, no, what we see is not necessarily what's actually going on. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, part of the the um, revelations that are coming, and the more people talk about this, it, it follows Schopenhauer's uh, three rules of the truth. You know, if you, the first, the truth is ignored, then it's ridiculed. And the third phase is that it's self-evident. And we're yeah. coming into the self-evident phase of the truth. And um, one other thing that uh, what you mentioned was, um, you know, this um, just the opposite of everyone thought it it, it reminds me of my favorite line from John Mack. I've repeated it before that UFOs are like an outreach program from the universe for the consciously impaired. And that's us, the consciously impaired. Yeah. But we have the ego that basically rules. We've gotten into a world where the individual is, is supreme. And the ego is running the show and the ego doesn't want to believe that it's wrong. So it will have what I call the left brain interpreter, which a lot of people don't realize that in your left brain, you actually have what's called a left brain interpreter. So when the world becomes inconsistent, it will immediately put garbage in to fill the hole, to make it consistent, to make it back to a flat earth or whatever your belief system is. And people don't realize that a lot of the stuff that we think is just stuff that we're making up in our head. And we so once we get the idea that the ego is no longer in charge and that there is this field, that there's this oneness concept, that's, I think, the thing that's going to change things. That's where when you start to realize that everything is alive, everything's conscious and everything is connected, that's when we're going to start making a move. But as long as we believe that, you know, it's rape, pillage, kill and steal, whoever's got the most toys when they die wins, we're going to go down this ego road where we're fighting with each other. We're like 80 trillion cells in the human body that are all doing their own thing. And then we wonder why the body gets sick. And, and so those are the kind of ideas that are coming through the sort of the noetic stuff, through artists, through musicians, through people who are having downloads and, and dreams and all this kind of stuff. And the, the other outside forces, whoever they are, they, whatever the phenomena is, whether it's spirits or aliens or whatever, are feeding this material into us. And we may have made an agreement with them to bring it in. But you and I and the people that are on the leading edge, we may feel like we're victims. We're the Rodney Dangerfield of all science. But I think that we've come in as an agreement. We've all joined together and we agreed to come at this time in this place. So people feel like victims. And I always remind them. I say, just remember, you chose if it's a reincarnation world, which is I was told it's like if it's a one one life, then it's one thing. But if it's a reincarnation world, everything's changes. You got it completely wrong. So if it's a reincarnation world, then you and I came in at this time at this place in the middle of this mess and perhaps we came in for a reason and that's what we've got to keep realizing that you and i may be the people we are or there's an expression we are the ones we've been waiting for yes yes well not only that that this is actually the most exciting time that we that i could imagine where everybody everything is shifting all the old structures are falling away people are waking up i mean they might look back in history and they say what was it like when planet earth the humans on planet earth actually had a mass awakening i don't know if that's going to happen but we are closer than ever especially with this crisis uh this virus this 
this, um, they call it, I call it a bardo. A bardo is an in-between place. So we are in an in-between place between letting go of a system that doesn't work and embracing the unknown. This is, this is where the artist comes in. You know, um, Terence McKenna says, if the artist can't find the way, the way cannot be found. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, and that's what we have to realize is that these people are bringing something to the to the game. They're bringing something very important, and we're starting to realize more and more that the scientists haven't got all the answers. They've become like the new the priests of the modern era, era and yet we're starting to realize now they're as prejudiced and as biased as anybody in in the say the Roman Catholic Church of three hundred years ago, mm -hmm. and that the the new age is coming in where. It's being challenged by just simple people on the street who are having experiences and putting the experiences out. And the more we go along, the more uh, we open that veil and people realize, no, there's much to, more to the world than just nuts and bolts and physical stuff. You're right. And, and the fact that we're in this field, whatever field this is, I mean, it's, it's, I'm obsessed with it. I got pulled down the rabbit hole in 1987 <laughs> when I had some kind of, maybe it was abduction, I don't know, I write about it in my book, but I've been obsessed with this and I can't think of anything more exciting than being here at the edge of sort of consciousness when this huge other reality starts to, I would say, invade our world, but I would say, I don't want to scare people, it's not invading, it's seeping into our psyche. Yeah. That's what, and you, you've called it the Super Bowl of all events. Yeah, which I love. that's what I point out to people. I say, if you realize what's actually going on, you realize you are in the Super Bowl of all stories. And not only are you inside the Super Bowl, but you get to play the game. So you may be the water boy, you may be the quarterback. Most people are, as the expression goes, most people are living lives of quiet desperation. Right. They are just paying their bills. They have no clue what's going on. And you have to have empathy for them because it's the same as you. You had your experience in 87. I had my experience in 85 and I always, 75. And I always say that if I hadn't had that experience, I would be just as stupid as everybody else. And it's, so there's something that leads you, whether it's you on the other side that are your higher self that brings you into it. But you and I, and you know this, that people who have had the experience, you can't let it go. I mean, it, it grabs you and, and becomes your life and it becomes your mission. And so when I ask people, experiencers, people will say, you know, were you probed? Did it hurt? Were you scared? I always ask them weird questions like, do you think you have a mission? And everybody says the same thing. They go, uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know what it is, but yeah, yeah, I think I might have a mission. And that's the whole idea is it's, that's that obsession that, that is so hard to explain, especially when you've got people around you who think you've totally lost it. And yet, for you, it's it's like that is life. It's it's everything. You're just trying to figure it out, put the breadcrumbs together, and uh, that's what makes it so exciting. It's like I was when I was very young, I was very good at playing chess, and I stopped playing chess because I didn't want to lose. But I was very good as a young kid playing chess. So to me, it's like a chess game. It's like it's so exciting, and it's like you're watching the moves. You try to keep the prejudice out, the you know the evil, bad, the good, uh, you know this sort of stuff. It's just a game. Why is that piece moving? What is this going on? And it's like a game. And to me, I always say to people, you know, like when you go to a cocktail party and people think that you're sort of the crazy guy, and then you listen to what people are talking about in a cocktail party. And it's like, Alan, tell me about your kids. I mean, are any of them in jail? I mean, did anybody get in trouble? Because I need something for the next cocktail party. And they're talking about people who aren't in the room and just gossiping. And you're going like, and you think I've got problems? And and then you see the the the, 
the, the importance of the material you've got. Because when you listen to what other people are doing, you're going, I couldn't do that for a day. I mean, I would commit suicide at the end of the day if I had to do that. For It's so exciting to realize that you're on the edge of it and that you may be almost like we're living at the time of Jesus or at the living at the time of Constitution, that people will look back and say, oh, my goodness, those people, they were so lucky. Right. You know, what I love about what your evolution has been is that you had this experience that was nuts and bolts for a long time. It, you had this download about it being consciousness, but it's sort of become a spiritual awakening for you. And yeah, mine were all the same things. There were, uh, when I had the 75 experience, it was like when you have your experience, people will describe it. It's like, wow. It's like you just, you fall, like I said, all my friends that were with me when we had these sightings, they went on with their life. I fell off the edge of the earth. I mean, I could not get enough. And so I went along for many years. And then I had the noetic experience watching Colin Andrews speak. It was the same thing. It was like, oh, my, I couldn't believe it. For two days, I'm walking around. My head is spinning. And it was it was that the noetic thing comes. And the way I describe it, it's, it's like new information that comes with absolute certainty. It's almost like you got to talk to God and he told you something. And you know this is real. You know that experience you had. doesn't matter what anybody says. And so I've had a number of these noetic experiences that have just moved me from this state to this state. So what I try to do is stay open, to be open to whatever's going to happen. You watch the synchronicities. When the synchronicities happen, you're on the right path. And just let it happen. And your higher self or whoever will direct you where you need to go. Right. No, it's so exciting. And talking about pieces of the puzzle, what makes it so, so, so interesting is that all the pieces are not in place. And you know that there's some spots like like just the technology of UFOs and, and who are the beings that are behind it. And well, let me get into some of that um, because um, I want to just ask your opinion because you've been such a, a great uh, student of this phenomena. Um, let me see. Do you see that on your screen there? Yes, I do. It's that's they, I told them to change. This is the, my book that's coming out. I told them to change the shape of that UFO. It's kind of ugly. <laughs> that's a I classic. That's not the UFO I use. So please. <laughs> so and people got to realize the, the UFO book. shape. What? The UFO shape has changed many, many times over the years. Almost <laughs> like they're um, just leading us along. That if it was a, a an independent phenomenon, we're always like the same. But you can see. It changes almost every couple of years. The, the shape of the UFO changes and people just go along and think that's always the way it's been. And you've got yours from the maybe the 1960s or 70s right. there. <laughs> well, I'm updating that. But this is a book that's coming out that Granson and Linda Moulton Howe and Whitley Strieber and John Mack. I've collected these essays. And uh, what I like about the book is that it's uh, it's a tapestry because no one has the truth about the phenomenon. So I've collected all these people with different parts of the truth and it's up to the reader to really put this all together that's what i feel so uh you can order, order that on amazon uh pre-ordered come out in may of 2021 and i think it's gonna open people's minds to a lot of what we've been talking about i want to talk about this guy chris mellon yep. um who was the former deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence and Chris Mellon um, was working inside the government, and he uh, left the government to join the To the Stars Academy. And he got this package. I know I'm sort of rushing along. He got this. And, and I'll just point out for you that the yeah. name is Ron, Rhonda Essex is the name there. That's I had it checked inside the Pentagon. 
and it's a woman, and she was in part of the the movement to move these videos out of the Pentagon. Rhonda so Essex. Rhonda Essex gave this package of videos because I want to trace this with you. This package of videos yep. to Christopher Mellon to deliver to Louise Alessandro. This is uh, you can make you can tell me if this is right to get to the New York Times to say we got videos from the Pentagon of UFOs. Is that is that true? Is that where we yeah. are? So you see you see the date on this is September the 7th. So yeah. that was a, a month before Tom DeLonge had his news conference in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the October we announced to the stars and then in December the article ran. So they had the videos a month before Tom DeLonge did the the uh, the to the stars announcement the press conference. So um, let me just ask you about, so Christopher Mellon is contacted by someone inside the Pentagon and they say, Chris, we got a package for you. Meet us at this place at a certain time. Uh, Why all that secrecy? Why why do they do that? Well, they're doing the plausible deniability. So you're, you're putting the material out, but then you're throwing dirt in the water so nobody can really confirm uh, who's leaking the material. So it's always been done this way. Um, I've been approached a couple of times to be given stuff, and I'm not even an American. So they would say U.S. intelligence uh, said to talk to you, and I said, come on, I'm, I'm Canadian. Why would U.S. intelligence? But they want this stuff out. I even had a phone call last night that described another effort inside Hollywood to put this stuff out. A producer came to me. I've, I've had a number of producers come to me and want me to be involved in projects where stuff stuff is going to be leaked into the UFO community. So that's the way they do it. So if, if you come to a skeptic, you and I, the skeptic will make the sign of the cross and tell you to back off and go away. But if it's in Hollywood, it's almost like the New York Times. If it's, if it's on Hollywood, then a skeptic can turn on the TV and say, oh, this is a stupid show. I'll watch it. I don't believe this stuff. And they don't realize they're getting programmed because that's the way the information people will believe what's on TV. That's how people get programmed. So that's why they're putting a lot of this stuff through Hollywood and through Tom DeLong. The way Tom DeLong went is he went to the guys at Lockheed Skunk Works and he said to them, you guys are messing this thing up. You're trying to get the information out. Nobody's listening to you. I have Twitter. I have Instagram. I have millions of followers. And if you want to get it to the young people, you need to go through me. And the one guy at Lockheed Skunk Works looked at the other guy and said, this might actually work. And that's why they're using Tom DeLong because he knows how to work in Hollywood. He knows how to put the stuff out. So they're trying to release it without uh, uh, scaring people, uh, without anybody being able to... uh, if you spill the milk, you can't put it back in. So they, they try to keep control of the story, but they want the story out. And it was the same story I heard last night. They right. want me to put this, a producer told me, they want me to put this stuff out. They're going to give me this material. These are intelligence people and this leaks continue. Right. So why do they give it to Christopher Mellon when it's addressed to Alexandro? Yeah, they're all connected to um, to Tom DeLong in their organization to the stars. But it, it that that part doesn't make sense. Why does Mellon pick up Alessandro's package? Okay, but but it's it's how you move the stuff out. That's what I always said. The most important thing about the the videos was not the videos, but how did they get the videos out of the Pentagon? And they yeah. talked about this, and you could never figure it out because they said they were you know they they were moved, they weren't classified, which I've heard before that UFO videos aren't classified. And it's this it's this bizarre sort of indirect way that they put it out, so nobody can really trace it. So the videos get out. And everybody watches the video and nobody goes to say, you know, how did, how did this stuff get out? Or the fact that the, the rumor was they had 200 different videos and that they're waiting for this other stuff to be cleared. And that there are people inside the, the government who want this material out, 
who are making these moves to move it out. But you can't. Uh, otherwise, you would just go out in, in front of a news conference and describe what's going on. And the aliens are doing the same thing. Whoever the intelligence and the phenomena is, they're doing the same thing. Nobody's doing anything directly. They're dropping these little breadcrumbs and making people right, chase after the breadcrumbs. And people are putting it together for themselves. But if you want to clear it and get it completely out, then you would do it. And you see Lou Lazando, if you start looking at the story of Lou Lazando, Lou Lazando met with, with Leslie Kane on October, I think it was October the... The fourth, that was the day that he retired. So this was set up before he retired. He's meeting with her. And there were, and if you read Leslie Kane's version of the story, there was a bunch of intelligence people. It wasn't just Lou Elizondo. There was a bunch of intelligence people, which mean the New York Times was being fed stuff, as the Washington Post was being fed stuff, as political was being fed stuff. They're all being fed material. Do you think that the ATIP program that was working inside the Pentagon wanted to go civilian on purpose. I mean, they're in collusion to the stars because, and the ATIP. So, okay, we want to get the secret government program out of the government to a private organization. Was this all planned out by the government in conjunction with um, to the stars? Well, it would, I would never use the word the government. I think believe there's groups inside the government. People have to realize the government is not a uniform thing. There's people fighting for budgets. So if you leave your budget, they'll come and grab your money and take your budget and take your, your project. So there's people inside the government. So what I would say with ATIP, my, just my, this is my opinion, that ATIP was stalled. You always hear help put off and people talk about the fact that the information was stalled because everything was stovepiped. So there's all these different areas. So uh, ATIP was looking at military... Uh, UFO videos and stuff like that, but they couldn't. They couldn't deal with civilians. They couldn't deal with experiencers. They were all linked off. I think the move to get it out is to get uh, uh, white money, money in this into the the community where everybody, the scientists, could all exchange information. So I think that's what Lou Alexander and Mellon are trying to do. They're trying to get it into the white world where people can talk about it. Because in the black world, it's all stovepiped and nobody's getting anywhere because everybody has their little piece of the puzzle and they're not allowed to talk to anybody else. Right, that makes sense. I'm just going to go back to these uh, slides here. Um, uh, let me just go here. Um, okay, I want to keep going forward. So, ATIP, ATIP, the Advanced uh, Aerospace Threat Identification Program. I know they changed their names a couple of times, but this is basically what's been referred to as the the, the secret government program to study unidentified well, phenomena. Again, I wouldn't say it's a secret government program. I think it was uh, on behalf of part of the military. So it would be cut off. That's the thing. It would be cut off from others because Lou Alexander does talk about this, that there was different elements. Like they were not allowed to deal with civilians. They were only allowed to deal with military. And then the Navy was a big part of it. So that's the thing. you got to realize that this may be only one of hundreds of different programs. But when it came out, uh, uh, when I released a book in 2016, uh, Managing Magic, uh, Mellon was on coast to coast right after me. And he said, I don't believe there's a cover up. I would know that I was in the, in the, uh, I was the sort of the top guy for black budget programs in the, for Senate. I would know. And that's the thing is you have all these different groups that are cut off and that's where they're trying to put this together is I would say there's probably a pile of UFO programs. Even Lou Elizondo said he was at a, at a, an event one time in a secure environment, he met a guy who had run a program that he really didn't know before. So that's the thing. He's starting to realize there's other programs. And I still believe there is a, a control program over top of all of it. So the way the government would work is if you if you want to keep it secret, you have like an MJ-12 type group. 
that you have somebody in each agency. So all you need is one person inside the Air Force, one person inside the Navy, and that person gets the material and leaks it. Nobody knows that they're leaking the material to a higher agency. And you have these people inside these agencies. But I, I believe it's like everything else. The government is not stupid. They've been working on this since 1947, and they will have a program high up in the government that um, that is very carefully controlled that is doing the thing. And I think the ATIP program is going to be a fairly low-level program. I don't think it was the main uh, program. Right. So you're saying there's probably people in the government that we don't even know, we've never heard their name. They are at the top or more top level controlling the filtering of information. And could that top level actually be connected to the ETs um, psychically or, or, or in, as ambassadors and telling them what to do? Okay, that comes to the story that the Israeli uh, general that has just come out with the story yeah. about the uh, the story talk about that there was an agreement with the government. When mm -hmm. I first heard that story, I thought it was like a, a, a an Easter Bunny story. I thought it was like crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I started to think back, and I go, No, I think this actually may be true. Uh, some of the stories that I've followed, you know, that I did the the um, the whole story with the Holman Air Force Base story, yeah, which was uh, done in 1975, and it was given to Steven Spielberg. If you look at Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that is Holman Air Force Base. That's the story of Holman landing. They were waiting for it. There was three crafts. One landed. Uh, the beings came out. They all the, everybody was waiting for them. So that story I got from Bob Emenegger, and I believe that they had the tape. Uh, Paul Shardle appeared on a TV show and described what was on the tape of this encounter between the beings and the uh, the high level officials. There's a, another one that um, was given to me. Uh, this is the whole story about the EB one, two, and three. This idea that there was um, a an ambassador, an an alien ambassador that was uh, being held by the U.S. government in in one was off the off the uh, the mall in Washington D.C. And um, I remember Bob Emminger telling me, he said, no, I, I don't believe that story. That's all garbage. That's all. They're making that stuff up. And I said, OK, Bob, Willie Strieber was offered an interview with the live alien. W Linda Howe was offered an interview with the live alien. Uh, Bill Moore was offered an interview and you were offered an interview. And he said, well, no, I don't really believe that. And I said, well, who told you the story about getting the interview with the live alien? And he said, oh, it was Paul Shardle. And I said, well, he was the security manager at Northern Air Force Base with the all the film for the, for the military. I said, was Paul Shardle reliable? And he said, yeah, I was reliable. And I said, OK, so you got a reliable guy that was offering you an interview with the live alien. The last story I'll tell you is there's a tape that's leaking onto the Internet. We're going to put it up. It's been around. And this is a tape between uh, uh, Kit Green and a intuitive that's being used by the U.S. military by the name of Kay Randall May. Uh, he describes her as being perhaps more accurate than Yuri Geller, 95% accurate in all the medical material that she's given. And he's talking to her and he's, he's getting a reading from her and he's taping this thing. And this is Kit Green, who used to run the weird desk of the CIA. He was a control officer for the remote viewing program. High level guys, always been doing contracts for the U.S. Uh, CIA as an open employee on UFOs. He can talk about UFOs anytime he wants. He's talking to this intuitive and he says, who are we dealing with? And she said, there is a portal off the coast of California. An object is landed there. There are human beings on the craft. There are beings on the craft. And they are dealing with, a gen they're being warned about a genetic insta instability. Talking about the fault lines off the coast of California. And Kit Green is just going, okay, hang on. And he's writing this down. It's the what, straightest what, what, can what, be. When did that happen? What date are you talking about? When, 
I believe the tape. I believe the tape was taped February the twentieth of two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kit Green, according to what I was told, taped this conversation and then he put it out to somebody and it leaked onto the internet. I was given it about three years ago, and I've talked about it a number of times. And we we're about to put the entire forty-five minute conversation on the internet. But he's talking to this intuitive. Uh, and uh, he's talking about an experiment that Kit Green has always wanted to do, a, a consciousness experiment, where he's going to take this Kay Randall May, he's going to put her in, a, in an MRI machine, then they're going to put Yuri Geller in another MRI machine, and Yuri's not going to bring his, his, public seat, pub, uh, his, his people along, his cameras, because they're not, it's not going to be made public, and what they're going to do is take a, an image, and Kay Randall May is going to exchange his image with Yuri Geller, And they're going to have them in MRI machines and they'll be able to see, does the signal go instantaneously, which confirms scientifically, is this a non-local signal? Does it obey time and space? So I I think it has to be non-local because all consciousness is singular. It's all connected. But let me just get back to this. Uh, This is a recent breaking story. It came out in the Jerusalem Post, uh, December 5th, former Israeli space security uh, says aliens exist and humanity is not ready. And he talks about the Galactic Federation. That sort of threw me a little bit because the Galactic Federation is sort of what a lot of new age, kind of ungrounded, what I call ungrounded UFO sort of fanatics say, oh yeah, they're out here. They're out there to uh, save us. And they're, they're not that mm, you know, solid in, in the facts when they called the Galactic Federation. So did that throw you at all, the Galactic Federation idea? Um, well, sort of. Um, the Trump thing threw me more, where he talks about Donald Trump. The Galactic mm-hmm. Federation, the way I look at it, you'll get a lot of experiences who will claim they're, they're brought in front of the Galactic Federation. Mm-hmm. But if you get the oneness principle, that all everything is one, we think everything's separate. If you get the aliens, I've always wondered, like, for example, I've never seen a, an experiencer who dealt with only one type of alien. And so I say, what do they do? Hand people off? So first you deal with the, the greys, then you got the reptilians, then you got the mantids in, then you have suddenly an angel figure. And, and that is the idea that all the aliens may actually be working together. They're all, they understand, as Ben Rich said, when, when Jan Hartson asked him, how do they get here? How do they get here? How does it work? He said, what do you know about, what do you know about ESP? All things in time and space are connected. So if everything is connected, then all the aliens know what all the aliens are doing. And I don't believe there are aliens fighting each other. I believe they all understand the oneness. So the, the idea that all the aliens are working together as a federation, mm-hmm. I think that may make sense. The problem I had with the story was the Donald Trump thing, yeah. that this had been given to Donald Trump and he wasn't going to do it. That I don't believe for a second. I don't believe that either. The other problem with the story, and here's a section from that article that was in the Jerusalem Post about uh, cooperation, secret underground base on Mars. I mean, the, the Mars stuff and all the Mars jumping people, I, I don't believe a single word okay. about the Mars jumping program. Well, let me give you a story. This yeah. is a story, you, you've probably dealt with Diane Posolka. She's about to come up with a new book, which has like currently it. has some pretty yeah. dramatic stuff in it. Yeah. Her book was very famous, published by Oxford Press. The yeah. main character in her book is, uh, she calls him Tyler D. I met Tyler D in 2013 at a cottage in Pennsylvania. And Tyler D, he was talking to you about experiencers. He was linking me up with experiencers because he follows experiencers, gets them to write down their their premonitions and stuff like that. And he showed me his cell phone. He said, what do you think of this? And he showed me these two guys flying through space. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, I don't know. And he said, this painting. And so what about that? And he showed me a series of paintings 
Then he showed me a postcard in the backseat of a car that was on top of a parkade. And he said on this postcard, it says, oh, I'd like there's a boyfriend writing to his girlfriend. I wish I could travel through space to be with you or something to that effect. And I I'm, I'm still don't know why he's showing me these photographs. And then he says, you know where that is? And I said, no, I don't know where it is. He said, that's the Hughes Aircraft Building. And I said, yeah, I still don't know what you're talking about. And he said, that's where the jump room was. And suddenly I went, what? what? Show me those photographs again. The key to that is Tyler D., who's the top NASA guy, why did he go to the Lockheed facility, which is now a, a, an office building, and take these photographs? And he said the photograph of the two guys flying through space is outside the elevator where this supposed story. And then I'm starting to think, is that story true? Maybe that's why would Tyler D show me these photographs and why would he go to the thing if it's all garbage? It, it appeared that Tyler D, the top NASA guy, seemed to think there was some truth to the story. And when I followed Ron Pandolfi and I would say all the technology, uh, all when I follow all the technology, because I followed the highest level people, the presidents, the uh, intelligence people, uh, mm -hmm. Eric Walker from Penn State University, all these high level people. Every time I looked at technology like anti-gravity and stuff, it always seemed to fall apart, that there was no, they didn't have anything. We couldn't levitate anything. We couldn't do anything. But when it came to portal technology, every time it came to portal technology, it appeared at the end. Yes, they may actually have this. And one thing was the story that Kit Green told to uh, Peniston. Peniston asked him, what are you guys doing? There's eight people working for the military, working with experiencers. What are you doing? What, why do you need my DNA? Why do you need my, my brain scan? And he said, well, we're working on propulsion. He said, yeah, we mean propulsion, baloney propulsion. And so Kit Green, this high-level CIA guy, says to him, he says, well, maybe I'm using the wrong word. We're trying to figure out how does the phenomena pop in and pop out just as quickly. And that's this idea, this idea that everything is one, that they're popping in, they're popping out. They're not flying here through time and space. There is no time and space. It's all here. It's all now. And that's where I, I looked at this thing. I never would have believed the the whole story of the the jump room until this guy showed me the photograph i was thinking why would he show me these photographs he didn't say it was right he didn't say it was wrong he just said what do you think and he was sort of prodding me almost like throwing a breadcrumb down to get me and I, of course i immediately went there and he said watch out for the security guard i went there there was a security guard and i started to i photographed all the same paintings that he photographed in this building and it was very strange that he would show me this this thing with the with the jump room that he would show me these photographs well, then you get the ridiculous stories, though, about the Mars jump room from people I don't trust at all. They were there for 25 years. They okay. came back. I mean, that's but, where. Okay, but that's where I say that the way they the way they do the cover up thing is if a story leaks. So you get a story, you're an intelligence guy, you leak a story. So instead of going and killing Alan Steinfeld, what they do is they just put another guy out to tell the same story with a different end. They, they did the same thing with the ATIP. So when the ATIP story broke in the New York Times, the New York Times called it the Advanced Aviation, the Advanced uh, uh, Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Mm -hmm. The Wall Street, uh, the political was told it was the Advanced Aviation, and right. Washington Post was told Advanced Aviation. So they're all using high-level intelligence sources to confirm the story. So why did they give two different names to three different newspapers? And they did it because everybody's going to accuse you're making this up and everybody's going in different directions and nobody knows who to believe. So that's what, how they how they slow it down. They, the story leaks. They put the story out. Then they throw mud in the water so nobody can really tell what the real story. So the story sort of gets out, but it, it, but nobody can confirm the story. They don't want you to confirm the story because once you confirm the story, it's over. They lose control of the story. But as long as they keep the story where nobody really knows what's true and what's not true, it's like Area 51. When they, when they, when they did that, Bob Lazar 
knew John Lear. We knew this story. In his interview, he was said, in his interview, they asked Bob Lazar, they said, what's your relationship to John Lear and what do you think about him? So they knew that he knew John Lear, who was the, like the, they got the wildest stories of all. They leaked the story to Lazar. And of course, they knew Lazar was going to take it to John Lear. John Lear tells a story. Nobody believes it. And then suddenly George Knapp picks up on the story and it goes viral. But that's how they do it. They leak it to people who have bad reputations where or they put in secondary stories that conflict with the first story and they get the story out because they want the story out. But they don't want you to confirm the story because once you confirm the story, it's over. Wow. No, I just want to say uh, I'll continue with you, Grant. But I just want to say thank you for Rama for broadcasting this portion of the show. I'm Alan Seinfeld with Grant Cameron. We're going to continue this conversation and you can see the rest of it on my YouTube channel and Grant's YouTube channel as well, White House UFOs, right, Grant? Yeah. And newrealities.youtube.com uh, slash realities. But I, um, I want to go back to that Israel. Well, first I want to ask about the Mars jump room because then you get, so the government comes in and brainwashes people, should I name like Corey Good with these confusing stories and other people I've said who claim to have been on Mars for 150 years. I mean, ridiculous. I mean, insane stuff that, that somehow, and these people, they don't feel like uh, healthy, aware, conscious beings, in my opinion. I mean, I might get some flack about that, but um, is that then brainwashing by the insiders to put out the false story about the Mars jump room? Uh, is that what you would say? Well, uh, what I'm saying is that they want you to know that there may be a Mars jump room, but you're never going to confirm the story. You're never going to figure out whether it's true or not. The same as I believe that the intelligence behind the phenomena does the same thing. Yeah. I believe it actually sabotages its own witnesses. So you get they give you material, and then when they, they put out material that, that is, is bad, and the, the, the contactee goes under. It's like, oh, the guy made this up, or he whatever... I think a lot of this is done on purpose that they want this instability because whether it's the intelligence behind the phenomena or what's the government, they could stand up anytime they want and tell you what's going on. And they've been doing this thing. They, they contacted Disney. We go through this whole thing in, in 1978. Uh, one of Disney's nine animators comes up and he tells a story at the MUFON conference that Disney was approached in 1956 to do a UFO documentary and they were going to give them films and, and all this kind of stuff. They've been doing this whole thing, this gradual disclosure thing. But it's a gradual disclosure. And that's how they control the story by you never know. And the stuff that was given to me, it was always like plausible deniability. So if you're dealing with like Ron Pendolfi, you'll never get Ron Pendolfi on camera, except the one time I got him on camera talking about portals. And he was furious. He was absolutely furious that he got I got caught on camera. But it's always like it comes through Dan Smith. And Dan Smith, it's like, oh, who believes Dan Smith? Dan Smith, he's this crazy guy. You know, he's rich and he's crazy, whatever. And that's what they want. They want you to hear the story, but you don't know, oh, it's Dan Smith. I don't, or like that's what they did with Area 51. They sent it to, Bob, to John Lear. And as long as John Lear was carrying the story for six months, nobody believed it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as George Knapp got it, then suddenly everybody believed it. But George, but. Lear, Lear had been telling the story for six months yeah. and, and everybody said, ah, it's John Lear, forget it, it's garbage, whatever. And you can actually see there's a documentary at the end of the Reagan administration that was released called UFO Cover Up Live. And everybody said it was a terrible thing. They were all reading off the of cue cards. Well, of course they're reading off cue cards. It was planned. It was all, it was made to look really hokey. And, and you'll see on that documentary, that was October of 1988, just before the election with uh, when Bush got in. And in that 
documentary, you'll see on a flow chart, they show a flow chart of how it works. And you will see two, two elements. One of them was Area, Area 51. Mm-hmm. Area 51 would not be known publicly for another six months. It was already on that flow chart. So they put it out. Nobody really notices. I didn't notice for 30 years that it was on that flow chart. And you start to see that they're leaking this material up, but you've got to control the story because otherwise you just stand up and tell the story. They don't want it to stand up and tell the story. They want it to come out with plausible deniability. Okay, I want to go back. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I think you know that better than anyone. I want to go back to this is Israeli um, um, former minister. He says, the UFOs have asked not to publish that they are here. Humanity is not ready yet. There is an agreement between the U.S. government and aliens. They signed a contract with us to do experiments. That's probably abductions. Other people have talked about that. Who knows? There's an underground base at the depth of Mars where their representatives are also are our, he says, our American astronauts. I, I, that's kind of strange. Um, I, I got this slide from a, one of Linda's um, reports. But anyway, this is the guy. And it's hard to believe all of it. So maybe... Some of it's true. I mean, what is he is he being told to come out at this time with this, or what do you think? About- yeah, or he may have been fed material uh, to discredit his story, so he's allowed to tell the story as long as he changes. The same with Phil Corso came out with his story, mm-hmm. and it seemed to have stuff, but some of it didn't seem to be true. And it may be that if you tell this part of the story, you can tell the other part of the story, or he's part of it. So the, the whole idea is you don't release the true story, because otherwise you come up with the photographs and the documents or whatever, and that's not what they want to do. They want the story of the Mars jump room out, or the, the fact that we, there's an agreement with uh, government, and that seems to be backed up. I would say, yes, I've seen material coming, from not, not from him, but from credible people, that indicates, yeah, Bob Emmeniger was a very credible guy. Uh, they still have a top secret film that they have that they were given. There's no doubt that he was dealing with high level uh, government people. He was worked for the re- Nixon re-election campaign. He was friends with Bob Holloman, the chief of staff for the Nixon uh, thing. Linda Howe claims quite clearly that he showed her a letter from Richard Nixon saying thank you for the cooperation on the project we worked on. And the deniability was, well, he didn't say what it was. So he's denying, well, it had anything to do with UFOs, but why would Nixon write him this letter? So you see this kind of stuff that seems to back up, not the details, because the details are always going to be, but the fact that there may have been a government agreement. And these stories have been going around for a long time that there's been an interaction. And like the same as E.T., the story of E.T. is the idea of the EB-1 or EB-2, that there's an alien here on Earth. And he's trying to 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 get back home and that that one alien moves back. A lot of the stuff that's in Hollywood will have some truth to it. So they'll leak stuff to Steven Spielberg. Like, for example, the Holloman Air Force Base. Most people don't know that that Close Encounters of the Third Kind is based on the Holloman Air Force Base story. They just think it was made up in Steven Spielberg's head. He was given the documentary in 1975. That's where the story comes from. So these true things get in there and they're fictionalized which is the way they want the story to come out so they can control the story and gradually leak it. That was the, the, the Brookings Institute report in the 1960s said, if you realize that there are extraterrestrials here, you have to slowly acclimatize the people. That is the policy that they've used. And that seems to be what they're doing. You put the story out and then you put out a false story. You, you take information, surround it with disinformation and put it out and it bounces around 
and everybody gets to accept it. Same as the UFO thing. Before it was like, oh, UFOs don't even exist. And they kept saying UFOs exist and they would leak stuff and whatever. And then when it came out, everybody was ready to accept it. There was no shock. And that's what they want to do because there's bigger things coming as to whether there's a, an agreement or whether there's been abductions or all this kind of stuff. And they've got to bring it out slowly. You can't just drop everything because you and I may understand what's going on. But the vast majority of the population has no clue and will absolutely be flipped out if you suddenly drop down. Because I say this mystery, whatever it is, is going to be a thousand times more complex than what people think it is. It's going to be a lot less physical than people think it is. It's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think it is. And it will not have a hint of capitalism. And that is going to floor the, a lot of people in the United States of America when they realize, yeah, it is a hive mentality. They are not into physical stuff. They are, and these kind of things are going to flip people out. You've got to gradually release it to people. You can't just drop it in people's lap. But let me ask you worldwide, because you sort of have the pulse on the, the current zeitgeist of the UFO. Was this story by the Israeli um, minister taken seriously around the world? Was it laughed off? Because I can compare it to Paul Hellyer, the Canadian minister, comes out later and says there's UFOs. And no one really seems to take Paul Hellyer seriously. But was okay. this guy taken seriously? Okay. No, well, I, I don't think he's really um, been taken seriously, the same as Paul Hellyer. But it works the other way. So Paul Hellyer, and I was dealing with Paul Hellyer in the 70s. We were trying to get him. Paul Hellyer talked about a UFO landing base being built in Canada for UFOs to land. And we knew where it came from. We knew that who it was behind it. And we kept saying to Paul Hellyer, like, uh, how do the aliens know where to land? And we knew what the story was. And Paul didn't, he didn't know anything. He what was, was the story? Would someone plant that story in his head? No, it was ri- it was written in a in a he opened a UFO landing base. It's the Canadians' 100th anniversary. There was a a tourist thing in St. Paul, Alberta, where they built a UFO landing base as a tourist attraction. Uh, he went to give the speech, and when I went to him, he got really upset with me about the fact that I told him a liar. He said, "I don't remember giving the speech. I don't remember. Uh, I didn't write the speeches, which is true. He didn't write his speeches. He was just giving the speech, and it said." This is not the first UFO landing base we've had. We had one in 1954. And the idea behind that, I went to Wilbert Brockhouse Smith's wife when she was still alive. And I said, take a look at this story. Uh, do, you, do you know where this was? Wilbur involved in this story. And her husband ran the Canadian government UFO program from 50 to 54. She said, yeah, it was Wilbur. I said, what happened? She said, Wilbur told the Canadian government, I want you to quit trying to shoot the thing down. I'm in contact with an alien by the name of AFA. If you open up a base, I will allow Atapa to land and you can talk to him. That's why they opened the base. They opened it in St. Paul, Alberta. It was a, had a no-fly zone like Area 51. It was an army base. They were doing nerve gas tests there. It was a high top secret base. And they opened up the base. And then Wilbur said, we want an agreement that you, he'll be allowed to land. They said, yeah. Then they made an agreement. Uh, they wanted an agreement that he would be allowed to take off. There was three people. There was the military, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the federal police, and there was the cabinet. The cabinet would not give 100% assurance that they would allow the thing to take off. Wilbur said, that's it. We're calling it off. We're not landing anything. So that's what happened. They opened the base, and, mm-hmm. and Paul Heller was told they opened this base, but that we were trying to get to him. Like, how do they know where, the, where to land? Because Wilbur had told them where to land, and they called the whole thing off. So, so uh, uh, Heller said, well, that proves that UFOs don't exist because nothing landed there. It doesn't prove anything. But Paul Heller didn't know anything, but Paul Heller works the other way. That even though Paul Hellyer just repeated a bunch of stories from a bunch of people who are very unreliable, right. it still works in our benefit because the same as this guy is going to work in our benefit because everybody's going to, they're not going to check the story. Like you and I will check the story and say, oh, this is garbage. This is garbage. 
Most people won't. They'll say, did you see, I, I hear it all the time, that Minister of Defense, did you see that Minister of Defense? And it works in our benefit that, that everybody thinks these stories are true. And so even though he's telling falsehoods, that's why I say the same as African-American or gay rights, there was a lot of bad stuff done, a lot of bad movies, a lot of bad stories about them. It didn't matter. When In the end, when consciousness rises and everybody talks about it, everybody's going to make the right decision. And we're going to forget all the mistakes that Paul Hellyer made, all the bad stories, all the bad actors are going to go away, and everybody's going to learn what the truth is. But first, you got to get people talking about it. You got to, and it, because people say it's a, it's not a circus. They're told me it's not a circus. I said, yeah, it is a circus. Mm -hmm. If Jesus had not walked on water and had not fed five thousand people, you wouldn't know who he is. If Travis Walton hadn't been abducted for five days, you wouldn't know who he is. This is a circus. Everybody's doing the circus. They're getting people's attention, and the, the, the dancing bear goes, and everybody watches it, and then. 10 years or 20 years down the road, they tell you what's actually going on. You're, you're right. It is a total circus. It, it is a great show as all these pieces um, come into play. Some of them fade. Um, I just want to ask you, uh, I know you have to go soon, right? But um, yep. going back to this package, the ATIP, uh, bringing that out to uh, Christopher Mellon, you know, Christopher Mellon also had a bunch of slides, I think, in that package, right? He had about seven slides. This was yeah. one of them. Can you confirm that, that this was one of these slides in the package? Yeah. Right. yeah, there was a whole bunch of stuff. It was on his website, which is kind of the weird thing where uh, there was a guy from Great Britain who discovered it, and he got copies of all this stuff. And then the story was, oh, his website was hacked. Uh, he forgot to put the password in. And that's all classic stuff. It's like, come on. This right. is leaked. This was he opened it up for someone to find it to get it out because a lot of the stuff on here has got mistakes. Mm -hmm. There's a, a a resignation letter from Lou Alessandro, which is the prime one. Just so they told me, oh, the stuff's on Lou Alessandro's site. Let me see it. I said they've changed it. They've altered it. They take a real document and they alter it. It's not going to be the real document. They said, no, no, it's all real. I said they do the same thing. They've done this like for forty years. Mm -hmm. So they sent me the Lou Alessandro resignation letter. I mm -hmm. said there's two spelling mistakes in here. He's deferred retirement. They misspelled it number two it has a no date on it how do you resign without a date on the letter how do you know when you're going to resign and number three is he the, the resignation letter was addressed to the secretary of defense he doesn't res, he doesn't resign to the secretary of defense he resigns to his boss he doesn't yeah. resign up five five levels up and that's so you see the the all these documents i believe they're real but they're but they've been altered. And that's what you do. You can't release classified man information. You release this stuff, like you throw the mud in the water, you put the documents out, but they're not the real documents that have been altered because people like me are going to discover there's mistakes in the document and everybody's going to go, it's a hoax. And everybody just runs off and the story gets out and everybody, nobody believes it because they think it's a hoax. Right. So I want to ask you about one key phrase in this document uh, at the bottom here, what was considered phenomena, UFO phenomena, is now quantum physics. I think that is a real key because you know what connects the quantum physics and the UFO phenomena, even in the way you look at it, is consciousness. They're saying yep. consciousness, it, it's all in the uh, eye of the observer. It's your consciousness that makes the quantum experiments real. You, you, you tell you can create the particle from the wave, you collapse the wave function. So are they giving us a hint here that there's an, because I don't think quantum physics is developed enough in its form, but perhaps the phenomena or the intelligence behind the phenomena is using principles of consciousness to, um, to manipulate time and space and, um, and um, create what we see as UFOs and the phenomena. What do you, so is this a hint or is this um, a mislead? 
Well, I think it's 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 basically the truth. The way they're describing it is maybe a little bit different, but it comes down to this idea that there is there is just consciousness. That's what I was told in my noetic experience. You got it wrong. It not only is not everything matter, there, there is no matter. It's it's all consciousness, it's primary. That was the first download experience I had in 2012, where I was given the thing, the document the Canadians were told in 1950 by the Americans that mental phenomena might be involved with the flying saucer phenomena. Mm-hmm. And the key to that was nobody talked to an alien. Nobody knew aliens were telepathic. Adamski would not appear until the detonation of the hydrogen bomb two years later. So how did the Americans know to tell the Canadians that mental phenomena was involved? Eric Walker, we were talking to him at one point. We said to him, he said, are there, MJ-12, is it all just 12 guys? Is it all just Americans? He said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And the guy didn't know. And Walker said, unless you understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken in by the control group. Very few people understand how it works. I didn't know until I had that download in 2012 what the heck he was talking about. I had no idea. And then Ben Rich saying to Jan Hartson, how, what do you know about ESPs? Everything in time and space is connected. That's how they get here. That's how it works. That's the portal thing. They're popping in, they're popping out. So it's the idea that Jacques Vallée started with this. Well, I used to think Jacques Vallée was nuts, where he was saying, I'd be very surprised if this turns out to be extraterrestrials flying around in little little tin cans. And the more we go along, the more it looks like Jacques Vallée, where Jacques Vallée had this quote. I don't know if he actually said it. He said, it's just a giant kabuki theater, and the only message is we aren't alone. And the more you look at it, the less physical it becomes. I've said this before. It becomes like, and they're using the word quantum physics, but it's this Deepak Chopra thing, or we talked about this Hoffman idea, where Mm. everything is consciousness, and everything that's physical is just like an icon on a desktop, that there is no physical stuff. We're making Mm. all these mistakes. We're, as Einstein said, we're trying to solve a problem using the same garbage that we use to create the problem. But, uh, I, yeah, I totally agree with everything. I think the thing about the ETs is that their consciousness field is unknown to us. It, it distorts our, what's in this document, cognitive environments, cognitive human interface. I think uh, ATIP was here and it's down here. Unique cognitive human interface experiences. When In my, in my experience, when you're in, um, in the field of these beings, there's a distortion in perception. And I think this, this is what they're saying. I, I felt like as if it feels like a dream or it feels like, a, like you're on some drugs or altered states. This is, this is part of, uh, I think, what the government can explain to the average person, that they, they do not function in our reality and their, their scope of awareness has a huge influence on who we are. Do you agree with that? Well, even even the idea, that's what most people don't realize, and maybe the big catch is that it's the idea of the physical world, that when you when you do the psychedelics and you realize, or you do lucid dreaming, or you have an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience, you realize that the real world is not solid. It's very plastic, and, and you can have a, a, a devil come up to you, and you give him a big hug and kiss, and he'll turn into a positive being and give you a, a message, and we don't realize, and that's the maybe what they've got is you're trying to hold this physical world together, rape, pillage, kill, and steal. And in fact, it's this this very plastic universe, and that's where the quantum physics thing. So I would say there's not even a field of consciousness, like the alien field or whatever. It's all just consciousness field. And right. we, when we get into it, we start parsing it because the left brain wants to say, oh, there's these different levels. So we have this idea, you know, you fall in the water, you you swim down to 150 feet, and then you meet a fish and you say, okay, what level am I at? And the fish says, you're not at any level, you're in the water. 
It's the same as consciousness. There are no levels. There's just consciousness. And we are, our, our left brain puts it into nouns and levels and colors and, right, right. and none of that stuff exists. No, but I'm talking about, I, I understand that. I'm talking about it. We're in this normal state of consciousness right now. I feel if an ET would appear right here in front of us, our whole fabric of our reality would distort because of the presence of who they are. It's like being on psychedelics or something. It, 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 we can't maintain, this is my experience, lucidity, the lucid, normal awareness that we are in with other human beings. And that's what I feel they mean by uh, this cognitive distortion. Have you had that experience at all? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Once you get in the field, you're always going to get that distortion thing. Right. The only exception is musicians who get songs in, in dreams where they say it comes completely clear. But anybody who's been in in a field, whether it's a psychedelic or a near-death experience, they'll say it's more real than the real world, but you're sensing stuff in a lot of senses. You're not really feeling it. You're just sensing, you're getting information or whatever. And it's so different than the conscious world. Right. It's so plastic and so movable that it's, it's very hard to understand. Whereas the beings are in that thing, in that field where they're there and they're trying to move us to that level to understand, number one, it is not the world you think it is. You, everything you've got is wrong. Everything you've got it all backwards. And uh, they're indirectly telling us how it works. And uh, quantum physics is going to back us up. That in the end, it's all going to be like Eastern philosophy, Eastern mysticism. It's all going to prove that the, the mystics were right. Uh, it's all Maya. The UFO people are all going to be right. And, they, and the guys that are going to be doing the cyanide pills are the scientists who are saying this is all physical. Because if you spent 20 years of your life and, and you believe that the brain creates consciousness and stuff like that, it's pretty hard to sort of pack it in and, and go in the, the unemployment line and look for another job. You, yeah. you, it's almost like religion that you, you have these ideas and you have to shift these ideas, people out of, because once you get to be 20 years old, the aliens won't abduct you because they can't, your ideas are set. You, you're, you're, you're stationary and people don't realize you, they, people it's very hard to keep an open mind. And uh, the beings are gradually moving us down that road, but it's a slow process and they may have done it on thousands of different planets. They know exactly, I think how to do this thing. But it's a gradual process where they're doing this breadcrumb thing. And um, yeah. with psychedelics that I think will maybe save the world, the psychedelics are having the same thing. That when you suddenly get in there or you have the DMT where suddenly people start seeing beings or they do the DMT experiment, 25% of people doing DMT experiment are on a table in the yeah. abduction experience. And they're sitting, they're lying on a bed. And then you start going like, what is going on here? Are they, are they being abducted? And Strassman used to ask his DMT people, have you ever been abducted? And they go, no, I don't think so. And it was this weird thing where you start seeing these crossovers and you start to realize maybe this is all the same weird stuff that once you get out of the conscious world, it gets very, very weird, very, very plastic. And you can form whatever sort of world you want based upon almost like the idea of the, the, the Easterns where you, whatever you do, when you die, you, you're preparing yourself to die because that's the world you're going to live in and you meditate and you, you get ready for the, for the death because they understand that it's not the physical world that we think it is. That's why um, loose being lucid in your dreams is a great practice as well. This is why, I mean, the Neil Young song after the go rush, he says in a dream, all in a dream. I saw the yeah. silver spaceship flying in the golden haze of the sun. John Lennon says this in his dream number nine, Right after he wrote that song, right after he had his UFO sighting in New York City, he wrote Dream yep. Number Nine. 
Wow. Yeah, and that's where you start to look at, is this all planned? Is John Lennon part of, because Yoko Ono had said, it's like channeling. Right. She was asked, how do the Beatles do this? She said, well, it's kind of like channeling. That's how they were getting this stuff. And you start to realize that it's not random the way people think it is, that you, people are getting help, that you, you're in the field, you have interactions or whatever. And uh, even the, the experience that he had had the same bizarre stuff that people don't realize. That, that May Pang, who was with him and he had his famous sighting, talked about the fact, she said, it was kind of strange. We were there and, and the people below us on the, on the balcony below us, we were yelling and screaming, running around in the nude. We're taking photographs and screaming and they didn't come up. And we wondered, why did they not come up to see what was going on? And she said, and all the buildings were empty. I looked around and everybody's gone. And then the idea comes in her head and says, oh, it's, it's Friday night. Everybody's gone to the Hamptons. And, and we contacted her. We said, don't you think that was kind of weird that everybody went to the Hamptons on Friday night? And said, yeah, it was kind of weird. And that was this Oz effect that, that time and space stopped. You were isolated or people will talk about being isolated where the whole world changes when the beings are there. Suddenly all the cars disappear on the freeway. You're the only one there. And you know, there's supposed to be cars, but there's no cars where it's just you and them time and space disappear. And that's what, what I think, Part of the, the disclosure thing is that there's so many weird things like that, that people are going to realize there's no time, there's no space, uh, there's no heaven, you know, heavenly streets of gold and pearly gates and all these kind of things where you have to rethink everything and people aren't ready to go there. And that may be this thing with the Israeli thing that people just aren't ready to go there yet. You and I maybe are, but the vast majority of people are still living in a world where it's nuts and bolts and uh, there, there's just heaven and hell and good people and bad people. Right. And they've got all sorts of stuff all totally messed up. Well, I think the government's getting closer to it. I'm going to wrap up here. These are some of the papers that the ATIP uh, um, disclosure revealed, some of the papers that were um, done for this um, ATIP program, supposedly, according to the Chris Mellon uh, leak. Um, this, this particular one about time travel here, uh, or gravity wave superconductors. Um, uh, let's see, I have, I pulled this up. Uh, this is one of the papers, transversible wormhole stargates, like you call portals. This is- by Eric, I should got point out that's by Eric Davis, who's an experiencer who had, when he was good, doing his graduation PhD, uh, he and his wife saw a daylight disc and he went off the rails just like you and I did and was obsessed with the whole thing. Part of the thing I think with the problem with this is, it's the same thing, you have this, this diversity that depends what you're doing. So the ATIP is trying to do the military thing, the analysis, and what Hal Putoff and these people are doing, they've all got patents and people got to realize this. One of the reasons why you have the disclosure, you don't have disclosure, is because the people who've got the money and they want to keep it to themselves are getting patents. Tyler D has 40 patents that he got from the beings. And, and so this technology, they're all looking at technology. And I think the beings have pointed out, a lot of people have pointed out that if you go down the road of technology, you're in trouble. That that's all we want for some aspects of the of the government is they want the technology. They want to grab the little aliens, put them on reservations in New Mexico and, and Arizona and grab the little engine out of the craft and let's make some money out of this thing. And uh, I think it's going to be, again, much, much more spiritual, less physical than people think. And the, the technology, they, they haven't gotten anywhere. That's the thing that people should be pointed out is that people think we've got this technology, but every high level end that I came to indicated that that we can have the craft, but the craft is alive. The craft is conscious. You put your hand on a panel, the, you become one with the craft, you fly the craft with your mind. People don't realize this, that it's way more conscious than than, than this technology stuff. And we aren't even close to getting the, the idea of consciousness right. into this whole thing. And that you can have the craft, you can have the bodies, but unless you've got consciousness, you're not turning the craft on. It ain't going anywhere. 
You're right. I mean, they, they do seem to have figured out something, at least Eric Davis, maybe that's because he is a uh, contactee, put together this paper about wormholes. And um, this all brings me back to uh, the last article that Leslie King Ralph Blumenthal um, wrote. Do we believe in UFOs? That is the wrong question because like we're saying here, it's not about belief. It's about experience. This was from, uh, I think, all, July 23rd, 2020, New York Times. That was one of the last articles, uh, right? That brings us back to there. So um, we do seem to be getting closer to, to bring them into this reality. And, and your work, I mean, you're doing a video every day on YouTube, which is great. You're just planting more and more seeds. Hopefully you're talking to more than the converted, you know, somebody might come along and yeah. see something. And um, I think we're at a real exciting crossroads. And um, this coming year, 2021, I think it could explode. I think it could like, boom, you know, just like that New York Times headline, glowing auras and UFOs. Uh, I think we're due for something else. I think we've adjusted to that. You know, the Navy has come out and said, yes, these are, not from this world. And uh, so what do you think is the next step? What do you see in the near future for, for the planet? Well, I see the three things coming together. So I see the quantum physics thing, which is saying it, is, it isn't physical the way you think it is. We can, you know, jump through things. Uh, you know, you can interact on one side of the galaxy instantaneously with the other side of the galaxy. So that's coming together. The UFO experiencers are bringing out this stuff that it matches that. And uh, you have the, um, the, the, the quantum physics stuff. It's all sort of coming together with this idea that it's not quite the world you think it is. And the government is disclosing the same sort of thing, where they're sort of indicating this fact that um, there's these weird things that are going on, portals, this sort of stuff. So I think it's all coming together. But I still think it's going to be a gradual process in terms of... Um, um, I don't think there's going to be a real major release. There's, you know, there's a story that seems to be confirmed now that Lou Elizondo and, and Mellon are going to leave TTSA. They're going to go off on their own. Mm -hmm. Tom DeLonge is going to still do his, his, his TV stuff and that they want disclosure. Uh, so I think there's a lot of movement and uh, we're in a different world altogether. And the biggest thing, I think, the development that, that will extend to next year is the fact that it's no longer, we're no longer the Rondi Dangerfield of the scientific community. Everybody realizes that these guys were right. And people and the people that would never touch this subject are now touching it. So you were in the, with me back in the old days right. when you kept it kind of quiet. You didn't really go out there. And now nobody laughs at you anymore. Everybody has questions for you now. Right. That was, some, I think I saw this like on CNN or Fox News. They said up until December 16th, 2017, it was okay to call anyone who believed in UFOs a crackpot. That all changed when boom, the headlines of the New York Times said there is this. So we've seen this before. We've seen leaks. We've seen people. We've seen even UFOs over the Capitol building, 1952. It flares up. There's excitement. Everyone forgets about it and goes back to their unconsciousness. So perhaps we're at a turning point in history. I hope so, because this will change humanity as we know it, not just disclosure, but the actual integration of these beings into our consciousness, into our reality, I think it'll be like a renaissance in art, in, um, in, 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 in uh, sensitivity and feeling and understanding who we are. And I say to people, okay, let's say we have free energy. Let's say the, the, um, 
UFOs land, let's say everything's right out in the open, what are you going to do with your life? Most people don't know because there's so there's so much fight just to get to level playing field that that's the question I think we have to start asking. Okay, this is all here. It's all available. Now, what is the purpose of the incarnational experience? And I think that's really, you know, once we absorb the reality of UFOs, ETs, and we're part of a galactic federation, if you want to call it that, why have we come? Let's say our survival is taken care of. We, everything's given to us. Then this is where art comes in. We came to be the great artist of the imagination. That's my take on art. That's why we came. After the fight, just to get level, just to get to why we're here with abundance, we're here to do something which is bring in more unknown. And that is through the creative imagination. That's, that's my uh, fallback piece. Do you, yeah. do you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would just add that people, when I saw my second, the second night I saw the UFO when it was flying away and I was wondering like, What's it doing? It wasn't doing anything. I've always been obsessed. I've never been. I've never been interested in UFO sightings because I got. I saw it pretty close five times. I've always been interested in why are they here, mm-hmm. and that's this whole idea: the detonation of the atomic bomb. That for thirty nine percent of people who see the screen show the environmental devastation. That that may be one of the things that people are really going to have a hard time handling, where they're saying, "You guys are about to flush this place down the toilet." We're, wow. we're just warning you. It's not all going to we're going to give you some free energy to, uh, you know, make your life even more. You've got a pile, a pile of people uh, that are starving. You've got, you know, people with no place to live running around the world. And that's uh, the part of the thing I think that people have to consider is why are they actually here? Why did they come in 1947? Why are there so many beings here? And that's part of the, the integration that we're going to have to make is that we we are in some degree of trouble from from what they're yeah. indicating. Yeah, we've created a huge mess. That's uh, I, Yeah, and we have to clean it up. They're not going to help us clean it up. I think they're going to stop us from destroying ourselves, but they we have to sit in the pile of junk that we've created. But yeah. I was just talking beyond that. Let's say we clean it up, we get it together, we get all that. Then what do you feel? Okay, what, what well, do you think we then? If you clean it up, you're going to get the concept of oneness. But that's actually, in the last number of years, has gone exactly the opposite way. It's more separation. It's more me versus you, my idea, uh, different political parties, different belief systems, different religions. Uh, the, the, the separation is occurring more, and that's the warning that they're giving us, that you've got to realize you're all cells in the body, uh, you're all neurons in the brain, that you have to work together, otherwise there's going to be problems. And that the, the warning, I think, is that we, we aren't going to get it together, that we are going to destroy it and go out, have to go elsewhere, like the Silver Seeds taking the, the chosen ones to another planet to learn their lessons elsewhere. And uh, so that's the thing I, I, I'm always concerned about. And hopefully they get it before us, because what they're representing to me is the right brain. They're, they're the female. I, I got a vision in one of my, um, my noetic experiences of a woman with her hair flying in the wind, racing through the universe, creating. And the men coming in behind and destroying everything. And, that is, and that's this idea that the female energy, that we're moving from the female energy, from the male, me versus you, you know, urinating contests, uh, survival of the fittest, all that kind of stuff, into this, the, the female where it's all one, where the family, we've got to take care. And hopefully we get there before we destroy ourselves. That's where their movement I see is that they're in the, in the, in the, in the right brain, the female thing. That's what they're trying to introduce. 
and it, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. I'm not that confident that we're going to solve the problem. You know, H.G. Wells said in 1932 that, um, that uh, what did he say? Civilization is a race between um, education and catastrophe. <laughs> really, that's a good expression, that. yeah. And that's where we are. So I, I agree with you. We have a lot to clean up, a lot to get together. We have to, there's a lot of work to do. But I, I am hopeful that somehow people are going to um, rise to the occasion and, and find that connection to the right brain, the higher self, and bring this oneness and the love and the compassion into reality. And, and well, that's that, that, yeah, that's our job. That's you and I agreed to come here. We made an agreement before we came. You and I were going to have this, this interview. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. That's ours. The problem is that the, the vast majority of the community sees this as technology. They see it as like, I've got, I got a big house, two kids, you know, two cars. I got the kids, I got a good job. And now we need uh, some cheaper energy. We need to go faster. We need to go to the stars. And it becomes like this more, 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 more. Give me more stuff. Give me more stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't think that's what it's about. That's not why they're here. They're here to move the thing and to realize this oneness thing that, you know, whether it's the, the COVID situation or whatever the political situation is that unless you realize and you come together and realize you are all one thing and you have to work together, you are gone. It is over because that's what kills. I say my, my bottom line expression is, and I won't have a tombstone, but if it was, if I had a tombstone to be on there, it said all that we consider to be evil in the modern world is nothing more than the mistaken belief in separation. If you get away from separation and realize oneness, you're not going to cut your hand off. You're not going to harm people. It's this idea that we are separate. The ego, me versus you, we're separate. That's where all the evil comes from. I don't think there's any exception to anything that's evil. It always comes back to this belief, the mistaken belief in separation. So there's no good people, bad people. There's just really bad belief systems that send us down roads that cause a lot of trouble, a lot of death, and a lot of this kind of stuff. And the beings are one. They understand it's all one. That's how they get here. And they're tra- that's the number one message. 54%, according to this survey of 3,000 experiencers. What was the main message? Main message, they said, is oneness and love. That's the number one message. Well, that's why they call it a universe, a one verse, a one that's song. Right. And uh, the ancients knew this. And the ancients, I think, actually, after you go do your psychedelic thing, look into the ancient uh, uh, alchemical texts. It's all in there as well. Yes. So thank you, Grant. You are an inspiration. And I, I love your enthusiasm. And you're, you're one of the top people I feel in the field because... You don't hold back. You tell it like it is, and you use your intelligence to, to go intelligence to go as deep as you can into all aspects of this of this very baffling situation. So um, super. I think you're in the same field. So let's do some more talks together and yeah. get out the the word because that's our job. We came here for a reason. When we leave, they only get you. We only get asked one question: how to work out. And according to what Newton said, everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. <laughs> so let's get together. Let's get out the message. And because uh, I, it, it, or as, as I, when I was young, I was raised to be a re- uh, minister. I was very, you know, a religious uh, environment. And I, I always got the idea. Um, the Bible says too much is given, much is expected. Edgar Casey said, knowledge not used is sin. So you and I are in a worse position than the people on the street. If you get the people on the street, they can say, I didn't know any better. 
But you and I can't use that excuse. We I, knew better. We knew I what the know, answer was. I Zoomed seven hours yesterday just on this subject. So it's like, I'm trying <laughs> to do the best I can here. And, Beautiful. Uh, thank you. And thank I can help you, you where you can. I yeah, appreciate what, what, your... Yeah. Thank you. Uh, what's coming up for you uh, soon? Do you, do you... Well, we're still doing this whole series of artists. We put out yeah. the, the alert that we're going to do the artist thing. And we just got inundated with artists with oh, yeah. with that. So we're going to run that thing. And then a lot of them are connected to music. So we're going to do a few music ones. Right. And uh, we're going to we're going to follow um, some of the, the consciousness stuff. The UFO stuff, I'll do less and less, but it's more this consciousness thing. Right. That I'm gonna what do. did you think of the article I sent you, the Hilma Clint article? Clint. I haven't seen the article yet. I know that you contact with my assistant. Oh, We've I got it. I sent you the article, though. I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. You just said it yesterday or whatever. So yeah, I haven't read yeah, it yet. Okay, let but, me know what you think because. Yeah, but I'll put you in contact with my assistant who always on the same. It's the synchronicity. She was on this whole. She was telling me about the 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 Guggenheim. And I yeah. said, well, man, we were just talking about this. And there's a whole, uh, almost a whole new story, like a whole book on this type of thing. Yeah. That she's and she's actually in contact with the curator of that collection at the Guggenheim, and the woman is ready to play game on this other collection. She's oh, talked to her. So we, that'd be a project that you and I and maybe Sinead will be working on. That would be great. You know, I, I had an, I just, I was going to say this on the show I do with you about Hilma, but uh, Hilma, I'm talking about Hilma Clint, who had a breakthrough show in her abstract art, and she, it was all channeled from these high masters. That's what she says in her diaries, that the beings came through and directed her hands to make these abstract paintings she was a realist she didn't know anything about abstract but she took direct dictation from these beings and i said to the curator there was a symposium and i said you have to be a mystic to really understand hilma's of clint's art and he goes no you don't you have to be an art critic i said no you have to be a mystic i mean we had this argument i said you don't understand anything she did because you're trying to analyze it you have to come at it from where she was. That was my argument. So you're right. You're right. It, 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 when she sees the other collection, like the Alma one that we'll show you, the documentary it was called The Hand. The documentary was called The Hand. And she would sit there and she's smoking and she's talking to people and her hand is drawing with all this Eastern uh, Hindu stuff, all these gods. She was a Christian and knew nothing about it. Fascinating story out of Canada. There's another, story. Woman, there's another woman from LA who, who in I think the 40s and 50s, she did a lot of multi-dimensional art and she said i am a ufo this is when the ufo thing was big with adamski anyway she channeled this whole thing from this what she called the ufo into her art i'm going to send you that too and yeah and that's something that's that's moved now like for whether it's contact in the desert or uh consciousness life expo those kind of lectures will be revolutionary because you see how many artists are there. They all know this connection, but nobody's talking about it. So you and I have started to talk about this and it's a, it's a new field that, that will open up with, because there's a lot of people who understand it, but they're isolated with their own art. Well, and when they realize they're all together. When I get, the, I got a publisher for this book now, maybe they'll like this other book. I'll see. I got this great book that I think you'll really enjoy because I put in historic context because art is about cognition. It's about new ways of perceiving. This is the, what I feel the role of the artist to introduce us to unknown phenomena. And they don't even know what it is sometimes. Yeah. You know, Ingo Swan, who, um, who created remote viewing, he's the one who coined the term. He said he wished he wasn't being remembered as a psychic. He was a painter. 
And did you ever see Ingo Swan's paintings? They're all these doorways and dimensions. And that's how he wanted to be remembered as a painter. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Even I, I mentioned here, this is the Alma. These are her drawings here. She did thousands, thousands of different paintings. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have this collection as well. Like this one here is Leonardo da Vinci right. uh, painting on a spirit painting. These are savant paintings where you get these savants that can draw this anything. This is a savant painting of Manhattan Island back there? Yeah, that's the um, the, um, the the kid. He's an African-American kid where they take him over to New York City for 45 minutes in a helicopter. And then he gets a, a piece of paper, 16 feet by 8 feet, with a pencil. And he sits there for three days. And he and he's got a, a, an art gallery in London. And he all the floors are the right number of floors with the right number of windows. He only flew over New York for, and oh he's done London. He's done. Is that an original book. piece of his? That, that's a copy from his. Uh, the original is eight by sixteen. That is great. I was wondering why do you have a picture of Manhattan in your background there? And yeah, and that's this. They, they call him the Human Camera. They can take yeah. him over London, and he'll have all the right buildings and the right everything. And he's only seen it, and he's he's autistic, so he can't really talk. He can't really take care of himself and he sits there and he looks around and then he can recreate like a like a camera and well, that's the kind of thing when you see that you realize something weird is going on here you should pay attention to this well that's pure right brain he probably doesn't have a, a the capacity yeah. of left brain but he's all right brain if you ever look at that jill bolte taylor thing on yeah. ted talk she talks about yeah what it's like to be a right brain yeah mo, mo, when when i did the uh, inspired most autistic is left brain damage that's why they can't tell you, they can't show you three fingers, they can't tell you their age, but they can do calculations that are unbelievable, or they can memorize 12,000 books or stuff like that. It's the left brain that's causing the problem, and once you shut that down, you, you have the problem that you can't take, you can't button your shirt, but you know everything about everything. You, you're in that field, and, every, and all the information is in the field, and it's getting the veil, breaking through the field, and getting in there and bringing the material back. Right. That's why uh, Einstein said logic will get you from A to B, but imagination will get you everywhere else. So exactly. Exactly. And we have to honor that imagination because that is the key to our future. If we're really going to find a way out of our mess, which we've created, we need to rely on the right brain imagination to find that path home. Yeah. Even even when I did the inspired uh, book, uh, Einstein, most people don't realize that Einstein got the theory of relativity in a dream. And he said, to, he said, I knew I had to understand that dream. In fact, you could say, and I would say that my entire career was based upon a meditation on that dream. And that's the thing. He pulled it out of the field. Same as the quantum atom came to Bohr in a, in a dream about the horse track. The, the uh, uncertainty principle came to Heisenberg walking behind the Bohr Institute in the middle of the night watching people walk around and this idea popped in his head people don't realize this that you can if you quiet the mind through meditation through uh, just walking around or whatever if you can open that veil that's where these ideas come from people think it's all oh, these smart guys einstein was a genius no he had a dream same as the, yeah. the google the biggest company in the world google came in a dream that's where the company came from the guy tells clearly that's where the idea for google came from and so people are getting that and that's where artists are. They're very right brain. So they're, they're, your left brain is shutting you down. The right brain is in the field. So you've got to listen to artists, musicians, and experiencers. And in the UFO world, we're making the mistake that we're saying, oh, it's just anecdotal. 
ah, it's just art. It's just music. And the UFO, they, they just think they've been on a flying saucer. It really doesn't. We're into, we're conservative. We're skeptic, whatever. It's like, no, you got to talk to these people. These are the people that are in the field. They've yeah. gotten through. You got to listen to them. The people that are in the rational analytical are these things with the wrong blocks. They're taking the cycling, the same thing. They think they're thinking and they're just rearranging their prejudices and they can't figure out why they can't get anywhere because you're just cycling the same wrong material around and around and around. Right. That's why the government is having such a hard time, I think, disclosing because they only know that left brain. And and maybe some people like Harry Reid, maybe some people are starting to understand there's more to it and they don't know how to talk about this because it then also impinges on religious belief systems, you know, this. Yeah, this the number of people that would know would be very, very limited. Tom DeLong does talk about the one where he, he started with Stephen Greer and Stephen Greer is into the consciousness thing. And he said when he was at Lockheed Skunk Works, the head scientist at Lockheed Skunk Works said, how does it work? How do they get here? How does it work? And he said, I think consciousness is involved. And the head scientist at Lockheed said, now you're talking. And for 45 minutes, Tom DeLong said, that's all the guy wanted to talk. About. But mm-hmm. that's the head scientist. So there is that guy that maybe a dozen people in the government who know the connection, but because they can't get anywhere with it, they're trying to move it into the white world so people can sort of figure this stuff out. But very few people will understand that connection. Most people are still in in the nuts and the bolts, the rational analytical world. Uh, but there are people in the government that that know, and hopefully they're trying to get it out because the, uh, the key is consciousness. There's no doubt about it. The whole world is conscious. Uh, matter comes from consciousness, and you got to you got to get the blocks right to start with. You can't start. You can't keep believing the world is flat, that the sun goes around the earth, and all this kind of stuff, and that things are solid. You can't. You got to bring in new material to understand and to solve the problem. And I think that's what the beings are doing. They're indirectly giving us information on how the world actually works. It's very exciting when we all imagine a world that functions on that conscious level. This is what Bashar talks about. This is what being supposedly, we've gra- they've graduated to that place where they know it's all consciousness. Yeah, one of the four rules of Bashar, the one is the all, the all are the one. Right. It's the oneness principle. It's all, or the one guy the, um, that wrote the book, The Children of the Greys, said to the tall gray, he was angry with him. He said, okay, what's your concept of God? Mm-hmm. And the tall gray said, we are one with the one who's all. The mm-hmm. message is always going to be oneness. It's it. You see it over and over in the mystical literature, in the Eastern literature, in quantum physics, in talking to aliens. It's always the same message. Oneness is the key message. It's not separation. It's oneness. Thank you, Grant, for your oneness. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That's the one. When When you put the left and the right together, you're forming that oneness there. There you go. Uh, let's yeah. Let's keep up dialogue. I appreciate uh, where you're coming from and um, let's talk. Uh, we'll talk about doing uh, the Daniel Hoffman thing together and whatever else. I'm not, and let me know yeah. the next time you're doing the art show. I'd love to just comment on some of that. Yeah. Um, that I, th- I think you'll you'll go you'll do good when we talk with Sinead. She's pretty up on this art thing, and we've okay. got some stuff you haven't seen before. I think you'll be pretty interested. Great. I'm excited. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for your time. And uh, UFO, what is your um, YouTube again? Um, my YouTube is White House UFO. Mm-hmm. And um, my, uh, my Facebook is Presidential UFO. So those are the two that they can go to. Okay. I post material. And feel free to post this too, of course. Yes. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks so much for doing this.